Welcome everybody to the Big No Podcast. My name is Pamela Cooley and I'm your host. Each week I have the privilege of sitting down with exceptional individuals who graciously share their stories. More specifically, their stories of trials, tribulations, obstacles and how they've turned those no's into next opportunities. Today's guest I am super excited for you to meet. His name is Lee Chambers and Lee is a British psychologist, entrepreneur, radio host, certified life coach and the founder of Essentialized Workplace Wellbeing. Lee is one of the UK's few openly autistic black entrepreneurs. He even has a nickname, the Black Autistic Guy. Lee has had an incredible journey with his works being featured in Forbes, Vogue, Guardian, to name a few. And today he's going to sit down and share his story with you today. So Lee, welcome to the Big No Podcast. An absolute pleasure to be with you today, Pamela. Thank you. Well, I'm glad you made this happen because I know you are an incredible busy man. I mean, I've been stalking you in the nice way (laughs) on LinkedIn. And I'm seriously just so inspired to see the work that you're doing. I feel like a lot of the work that we do is very much in synergy and in alignment and for me personally who is a mother raising three mixed race boys one who's autistic it's so refreshing to go on you know platforms like LinkedIn or social media and see another black entrepreneur who is autistic like that is quite rare even in this day and age so to see that and see the work that you're doing is so super inspiring so thank you yeah no it's a pleasure and I think you know in some ways try to be the role model that I didn't have when I was younger yeah. and be able to vocalise that and, and be you know pretty transparent about the realities of yeah. what it's like. As an author, I like to start at the beginning. So yeah. if we can just have a little bit of a glimpse into the insight of your childhood, where you grew up, um, and what are some of the pinnacle moments in your childhood that shaped you to the man you are today? Yeah, so I think from, from my perspective, I grew up in Bolton in mm-hmm. the 80s. Big up Bolton. Big up Bolton, sunny <laughs> Bolton. Um, so yeah, my parents were teenagers when they had me. My dad ah. was from Jamaica mm-hmm. and my mum had been in care. So, you know, they came together in, you know, interesting circumstances yeah. as teenagers and I was a bit of a surprise. <laughs> and ultimately they did what they could, you know, started life mm-hmm. on a council estate. But my parents really gave me the platform. Both me and my younger brothers, mm-hmm. uh, they really invested in trying to give us the stability to be able to do great things. Brilliant. Uh, you know, my childhood was, I look back and reflect and, you know, I was and had a lot of opportunities. Mm-hmm. I was troubled, if I'm honest. I was asking a lot of questions, very curious mm. and always thinking and communicating differently. Yeah. Which, you know, back then the awareness wasn't really there. Mm-hmm. Generally, I got kind of got sidelined at times. But what I had is parents who believed in me Mm -hmm. and I had a few teachers who saw my potential and, you know, they were the people, they were the leaders that, you know, gave me the opportunities. They opened some doors. Mm. They kind of kept me on track when I started to drift off every now and again. Mm -hmm. Uh, And as I kind of got into secondary school, you know, there were times when I was, yeah, again, falling off, falling off. Mm. But there's always a few people, a few adults ensuring that I was, you know, executing mm. in, a, in, in a, at least in a way that would allow me options in the future. Yeah. Uh, I was the first one in my extended family to go to university, which was, you know, both a privilege, but also a lot of pressure. Yeah. Because uh, I didn't really have anyone to speak to about it who'd been through the experience. Mm. And I was kind of held up as, you know, a pillar of hope and optimism for the community yeah. and for my wider family. So yeah. that in itself was a, a lot great of pressure experience. on your shoulders there. Yeah. And do you know what? It's quite interesting when you talk about like your family and you had those, you know, few good teachers who saw your potential. And that I think is so super important. I was at a talk a few weeks ago 
talking about you know being a startup and being an entrepreneur and that you know it's really important that you have like your tribe the people that you can support on for emotional you know support and things like that and then there was this one guy in the audience and he said what about if you don't have anybody and that really hit me because I was just like wow there are people who generally do not have anyone so what would your advice be to people who are listening and thinking like, you know, I've got this idea or, you know, I've got this interest, but I don't have anyone who's there to kind of like support me or give me some kind of direction. What would your be advice to that person who's listening? Yeah, so I think, you know, we live in a different world now where mm. online, if you search, you will generally find <laughs> communities yeah. for even the most niche interests. Yeah. So there, there are people out there. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it requires a little bit of digging. Yeah. But you know, you will find people who you can resonate with. Yeah. Uh, sometimes it just takes a little bit of courage to start that journey. Yeah. And just thinking back to when I started my first business, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I was told, and I kind of had to search for people who set up a business. I couldn't find anyone mm. who looked like me, sounded mm-hmm. like me. And I went to a mentor and he said, you know what, Lee, you're young, mm. you're black, you've got a bit of an attitude problem, <laughs> you haven't got much of a network, you're rough around the edges, mm-hmm. go out into industry and smooth those edges mm. and then come back and try again. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, is what I was kind of told at that point. There isn't anyone like you, yeah. so you're going to struggle to be accepted. Yeah. And what did I do as a, as a young person with an attitude? I went and did it anyway. I love that. I love that. There's a little bit like um, the work that I did, or I'm doing, I should say, is that when our son got his diagnosis, his autism diagnosis, um, we were very much like, I don't know, we felt like the whole process of getting the diagnosis, we thought afterwards something magical was going to happen. And in reality, we just got like a very formal letter with a leaflet of a family that didn't look like us. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what I mean? And then it was very much like, on your way, figure this out on your own. And for us, we knew how much Walter connected with books. So we wanted to get loads of books where he could see himself represented. And then we just couldn't find any at all. And it was very much that kind of moment of, you know, if it's not out there, go and create it yourself. And I think that's really super powerful but also it can be quite daunting mm, yeah because if you're the only kind of person doing it and you there's a lot of pressure because you want to get it right as well and if you have got those barriers such as ethnicity or race or gender or sexuality that takes it to a whole new level of like yeah. industries and stereotypes that you're desperately trying to t- trying to break i to talk about your diagnosis because obviously you got diagnosed as, as an adult didn't you yeah okay so when you're reflecting back if your younger self was here now yeah what would the younger self say to you now yeah. And what would you say to your younger self? To give a little bit of context, uh, I was diagnosed last year. Only last year? Only last year at 36. And the impetus for that was my own son's diagnosis. Uh, when we went for the parental yeah. interviews with the educational psychologist, yeah. he pulled me aside at the end and said, Lee, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. <laughs> so, you know, at 36, all of a sudden having a diagnosis yeah. and having that clarity, it was mm-hmm. both liberating mm-hmm. And a bit frightening yeah. as well. Yeah. Because yeah. I kind of delved into my past. Yeah. And started to understand firstly what was masking and what was me. Mm. And where my identity lay within that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and started to look and think about some of the emotive experiences that are kind of emblazoned on my mm-hmm. brain. Mm. And think about, you know, some of the some of the ways that my neurodivergence intersected with those. Mm-hmm. Uh, reflecting back, I always knew I was different. Yeah. I thought differently, yeah. communicated differently. I was able to do things that other people couldn't, mm-hmm. but then struggled with things that people thought I should easily be able yeah. to do. Lack of common sense was generally something I had throughout my whole childhood. Mm-hmm. 
But thinking back to that young child who quite often was on the outside, both sometimes because of race mm-hmm. and sometimes because of not being neurotypical, mm. it would actually be embrace that difference mm. instead of desperately trying to conform. Yeah. Because for a long time, I wanted to be part of the typical world. Yeah. And I wanted to be part of the circles that I thought mm-hmm. would be the places where I would fit in. Yeah. And the more I tried to fit in those spaces, the more distant I felt. Yeah. So being able to accept and embrace myself as a child would have been incredibly powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that I reflect back on now and realise it took me a long time to get there. It's a hard thing to do as well because I've recently been diagnosed with ADHD. So a little bit like yourself, I start to reflect. And I think growing up, there was always a part of me that thought I struggled with certain things. But then I thought that maybe everyone just struggles like that. And then I got into my teenagers and I realised the things that I was struggling with, no one else is struggling with <laughs> yeah. at all. And it's very much a little bit like looking at your peers and seeing what they're doing like I remember even for about a good six years listening to the same music as my group of friends hating it but pretending that I absolutely loved it going to gigs having panic attacks in the bathroom coming out pretending I was absolutely fine and yeah and, and even as an adult now I can wholeheartedly say I am shit with focus and organization (laughs) (laughs) and I think I feel quite liberated saying that because as an entrepreneur you're supposed to know what you're doing be really focused and like and and I'm just like no I am terrible with organization and focus and I feel like sometimes my life is a bit of a contradiction I can go around the whole house and say to my kids why have you left the towel on the floor pick up the things and then I would literally go in my bedroom and see that I've caused absolute chaos (laughs) it's just it fascinates me and I think that the more that we start talking about this and this whole concept notion of getting children to embrace their differences I think it's really important but also as a child that's a really Mm. big ask yeah do you know what I mean so how do we encourage children to start not necessarily like we all want children to love themselves but again that's a bit of a big ask just be happy just love yourself that's too much of an ask so how can we meet in the middle and and what can we be doing in terms of you know literature meet films and just having that open discussion about differences what can we be doing at a really young age to ensure that children do start to embrace their differences yeah so i think for me the first thing is parenting Mm -hmm. when you've got a neurodivergent child it's not what you were probably expecting when mm. they were born. Mm-hmm. You have expectations of what parenthood's going to be. Mm. There is no manual, mm-hmm. but you have a set of expectations that's yeah. built from, you know, your friends, children, and the children that, you know, you're surrounded with in your family and, mm. and the wider context. And, you know, when you have a child who is neurodivergent, sometimes it's like you planned a holiday to Italy, mm-hmm. but you ended up in Belgium. <laughs> yeah. And if you spend your time wishing you are in Italy, you know, enjoying... Mm you know, fresh pizza, <laughs> you don't get to enjoy, you know, the pancakes in Belgium. Yeah. So you've got or to... The beer. You, well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And you've got to be able to then realise that that's where you are yeah. and your expectations are different. Yeah. But when you actually embrace your child and mm. realise that, yeah, it's not what you're expecting, mm. but actually this is your reality. Mm-hmm. And if you embrace that, it helps your child to embrace themselves. I love that. And it, it's really powerful then that's layered with representation, Mm -hmm. the work that you're doing, the Mm -hmm. work that we're doing, being able to showcase that actually you're not on your own. Yeah. Because again, it feels so difficult when you're a child Mm -hmm. and you feel like it's just you and you're on your own and you're different than everyone else. Mm. And let's be honest, you go through childhood wanting to build a peer group so you feel supported. Mm. You never want to be that person who feels like they're on their own, Mm. the person in the playground who doesn't have anyone to play with person who's not picked for the sports team you never want to be on the outside yeah but there are times when you are going to be on the outside 
in a neurotypical world. Mm -hmm. So it's almost a little bit of parents creating that acceptance, Mm -hmm. creating a feeling where, you know, you are ultimately the person who is going to take them in when they feel like they're on the outside a bit. So they're never on the outside at home. Yeah. And I think that's so important. Yeah. Wholeheartedly agree. So let's talk about some of your setbacks. Can you give me some examples of things that, that have come out of nowhere maybe yeah because I know you had some health implications as well which we want to talk about how did you overcome these obstacles and almost flip your mindset to be like yeah this has happened to me it's not great no one planned this but what can I learn from this and how can I flip that narrative to ensure that I start to see the positives if there are any yeah so I would say there's three kind of major dips in my life Mm -hmm. the first one was having significant mental health challenges Mm -hmm. at university Mm -hmm. Secondly, being made redundant from a graduate scheme mm-hmm. six months in. Mm-hmm. And thirdly, my immune system failing, mm-hmm. having to learn to walk again. Wow. So the first one, uh, I went to University of Manchester, went off to the big city, trying to embrace you know every social and every society. And in the second year, halfway through, started to struggle with mm-hmm. my identity, mm-hmm. not really having any role models mm-hmm. for someone who was like me, not really knowing what I was going to become in the future. Uh, struggling, you know, balancing both my academic work and having to work alongside my degree because mm. I wasn't from a privileged background to make an adolescent adult transition, trying to look after myself and that self-care being a bit of a challenge at times uh, and just really not understanding myself mm. and being able to chart a future made me feel quite helpless yeah. uh, and that led to me gradually avoiding my friends, then everything else, then work, then university itself locked myself in my university dorm for two weeks and got broken out by security and taken home. Wow. That caused me to drop out of uni. I spent a year at home trying to build myself back up. And in that time, probably the biggest thing that I learned was that I was in a position where I was being held up and that was a lot of pressure. Mm. But actually, I hadn't failed. Mm. The situation had failed. Yeah. And by kind of embracing that, I realised that actually there were things that I could learn from that journey that hadn't applied myself mm. I've tried to take on too much uh, and really learning that I wasn't going to have my life worked out at 19 mm-hmm. and I w- wasn't always going to know what I was going to be and if I didn't have a role model then I needed to look wider but also accept that I might need to you know blaze a trail myself mm-hmm. and after a year of working on myself kind of getting a bit more confident getting myself to a better place I went back to university and graduated Wow, awesome. and being able to achieve that gave me the first taste of you can hit adversity mm-hmm. but you can overcome it yeah but you need to find a place of acceptance you need yeah. to be able to detach some of the emotion mm-hmm. from that feeling of having failed mm-hmm. to be able to find the great things to take forward mm. second challenge i went out into the corporate world uh, after university got into a graduate scheme at a national bank uh, and that was in 2007 six months later our training budget was pulled because of the recession and the credit crunch and then we lost the grad scheme 16 of us you know had gone in right at the peak of the financials thinking we had our career laid out you know good education good job Mm -hmm. and that's it we can support our family and make a difference and very quickly i found you know myself packing up my desk and having all that vision of a career taken away Uh, i had to move back home to my parents house and they'd in the process sold up thinking i wasn't coming back (laughs) So I had a room in the back of the house where the, where the boiler was and because of the awkward shape, couldn't fit a single bed frame in. Mm. So I had a mattress and a clothes rail for life. Mm. But at first, that first day, I thought, this is desperate. I'm back with my parents. I'm started again. I've lost my independence. This is terrible. 
And I took a minute to reflect and realise that those people who I work with, 25 year careers, so many letters after the name, so many qualifications in finance, mm-hmm. mortgages, children, mm-hmm. things on finance, they had no job prospects. There was no jobs. Everything had shut down. They weren't going to be able to go and get another job with all that experience. In fact, I had no de- no no real mortgage, no children, mm-hmm. nothing that I really had to pay. I was able to start again with a blank canvas mm-hmm. and I didn't have all these qualifications that were now not able to get me into the position that mm-hmm. I wanted. I had the opportunity to start again. So I reframed it as, you know, my career being taken away and reframed it to a new opportunity to do something mm-hmm. and make something for myself yeah. that was less reliant on external factors mm. because I couldn't do anything about the recession, but maybe I could build something that was recession proof. Mm. And that was really the impetus for my first business, mm-hmm. which was built in a recession and gave me the opportunity to do those professional qualifications I've lost the funding for and an ability to you know build into a financial position where I was able to, you know, achieve a lot more than I'd ever imagined. Mm. And the third, you know, big no mm-hmm. uh, was when my immune system failed. Mm. So I just turned 29, you know, I was thinking, oh, what am I going to do before I'm 30? My daughter's going to be born shortly. You know, I've got a year to probably get all this silliness out of my system. <laughs> and then a week later, uh, my immune system started to fail. And within a few days, my knees were like footballs. My shoulders were up by my ears. Wow. And my immune system had kind of deactivated and then reactivated and started attacking my own body. Mm-hmm. Uh, very quickly putting me into a place where I was in a lot of pain. I couldn't move. So I was dragged by my mother-in-law, who's about five foot two. Um, she literally dragged me up the driveway, chucked me in a car and took me to A&E, where I kind of found out that obviously I was in quite a bad way. Uh, I spent a month in hospital, a lot of tests, trying to work out you know, what had happened. But I, I lost my independence yeah. with my son 18 months old looking at me saying, Daddy, why can't you play? Mm-hmm. And my wife, six months pregnant at a time when I was, you know, she was about to start maternity and I was going to step up and do as much as I possibly yeah. could. Suddenly I was flat out and not able to. At first, how did I feel? Frustrated, angry, always been well, always looked after myself. Why me? Why now? Yeah. But gradually processed that and was discharged into walking rehab after a month. And at that point, I actually found acceptance. Mm-hmm. So I'd realised, you know what, I had free healthcare. But not only that, I'd had free education. Mm. I'd had the freedom to set up a business. I'd never been hungry. I'd never been homeless. And just sat in that hospital, realising that, you know, you've lost something, you've taken for granted, mm. you're walking. You've never been grateful for that. Yeah. But now, if you accept what's happened, the fact that you can't control it, you can control mm-hmm. how you recover. And my daughter was born when I was in walking rehab and that gave me the impetus. I was going to get back on my feet mm. before my daughter started walking so I could take her first steps with her. And that drove me on through the difficulties in my recovery, mm. through the physio, through the pain, through the times when I had a few setbacks with my spine and my walking gait. But I managed to get back walking a month before she started and was okay. able to take those first steps with her and that is something that you know I cherish deeply yeah. because today she turned eight last week. No. I've not beat her much else since. She's a whirlwind. She's as sharp <laughs> as he come. And yeah, I can hold that one little thing in my competitive fatherhood yeah. that I managed to get back on my feet yeah. before she did. That's an amazing, amazing journey. And thank you so much for sharing that. How does it feel when you're when you're saying that journey? Do you almost go back to that moment and relive it? I mean. 
you must have such a sense of pride because that's so incredibly hard to go through, like physically and mentally as well. And I think sometimes, like hindsight is a great thing, but what I tend to find when I'm speaking to people is that they're maybe going through hardship at the moment and there's always that constant like, oh, it, someone else has got it worse. And, and yeah, that's true. But at the same time, that doesn't take away from what you're going through in that moment. Yeah. And I know like the mind for me is something that I'm so fascinated by. Yeah. Because, I mean, you can wake up in the morning and you can read something or watch something on TV and then instantly your mood can change. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Or you can do the reverse. You could be in a shitty mood and then you can literally have a word of yourself, do something yeah. that makes you feel good in that moment and then you start to have a little skip in your step. Do you know what I mean? And your yeah. whole perspective changes. So for me, when it comes to the mind, I know when people have had so much adversity, the one thing they keep saying is that they can't control what's going around them, yeah. but they can control how they view the situation. And I think yeah. that is so incredibly powerful, but not to take away from the fact that life can be unfair. Well, yeah, and adversity doesn't discriminate. One of the biggest things that I kind of re reflect on is that, when you consider that gratitude is quite powerful, mm. but you should never be so focused on gratitude that you don't live the reality of when things aren't great yeah. and accepting that they aren't great. Yeah. Because then that doesn't give you the power to think how they could be better. Mm -hmm. And like you say, when it comes to the mind, I think everyone knows if a particular song come on the radio, mm -hmm. they could be having the worst day ever and they start dancing in the kitchen yeah. and that's it. Yeah. It's hard to feel sorry for yourself or be having negative self-talk when you're smiling and mm. having a dance. And, you know, both physically and mentally, we are so interlinked, mm. so much more than we believe. Mm. But, you know, through that, I'm now today 70% physically where I was before I was ill. Yeah. That's about as good as it's going to get. Yeah. But mentally, I'm 200%. Yeah. I've managed to grow through that. And even in walking rehab, those who kind of accepted that it had happened and I can't change... You know, what had ha some of them have spinal challenges, mm. some of them had lower limb injuries, some of them had had strokes. They kind of, you know, three of us accepted and found a place and we kind of had our heads up. Mm -hmm. The other six were still suffering, still coming to that place of acceptance. Mm. But the three of us were the first three to go from walking rehab to intensive physio. And it just shows the power of accepting and realising that, you know, adversity can happen and yeah. will happen to you. Yeah. And sometimes... It's completely out of your control yeah. and you could, you know, be the most privileged person in the world mm. and it can happen because when we actually look and take a step back at life, whether that's as a parent, as an individual, in the workplace, in business, life is always like waves. Mm. They come and they go. You kind of hit peaks and you hit troughs. And the thing that really kind of keeps me going sometimes is life is like a heartbeat. It's, you know, it's like an ECG. <laughs> it's up and down, mm. up and down. And if life was a flat line, you'd be dead, you wouldn't be living. Yeah. And that's kind of almost how I picture that reality of my journey in my yeah. own mind. I love that. The work that you do is so inspiring, but I can imagine it can be quite emotionally draining at times, quite heavy when we're talking about inclusion and diversity, neurodiversity. Like, how do you manage your own mental health? Yeah. When it comes to the speaking engagements, even doing podcasts, reliving, you know, trauma, which I don't think people take a moment to acknowledge and accept that. Yeah. Yes, it's inspiring to share the stories, yeah. but it's also can be very draining and traumatic to yeah. go to relive that. Yeah. And I think that, you know, 
people starting to understand how re-traumatizing sharing lived experience mm. is, especially when there's no permission asked. Mm-hmm. Happens often in the workplace. Yeah. Can you come and bring your experience, please? Yeah. And re-traumatize yourself in the process. Yeah. Uh, but for me, there's a few pillars that are really important. So firstly, is sleep. Yeah. Sleep is massively impactful. It's my number one self-care habit. It's non-negotiable. Mm-hmm. I get to bed. I mm-hmm. sleep well. Yeah. And I really optimise every aspect of that mm-hmm. for me. And I spent years working on that because it impacts my health. It impacts my performance. Mm. And it just impacts my emotions, my hormones and yeah. everything. Second one is getting out into nature. Mm-hmm. I get out into nature as often as I can. Yeah. I live in a rural place anyway, which is helpful. It allows me to kind of retreat from the city and just go and kind of surround myself in nature and mm-hmm. be in a place where I can regenerate, can plug back in, mm-hmm. uh, you know, natural environments, the senses, the sound, the greenery, just makes me feel, you know, almost like I'm evolving. Yeah. But actually, you know, it, it de-stresses, it makes you feel almost serene mm. uh, and it just allows you to centre yourself again to mm. do the work that you're doing. And thirdly, playing my children. Yeah. So playing, curiosity exploring treating life like an adventure mm. play is so underrated and for some reason the marketing campaign that is adulthood tells us all that we shouldn't play anymore yeah so you'll find me on the floor playing with Meccano <laughs> you'll find me dancing playing games on the switch yeah you'll find me kicking the football around taking my daughter to football mm-hmm. matches every Saturday morning that play that ability to disconnect mm. from the heavier work yeah just allows you to plug yourself in and the most important thing is we all have different ways to recharge. Mm. We're a bit like, you know, the range of mobile phones that there is out there. We have different adapters. Yeah. But actually, when you take some time to find the things that make a difference for you, mm. really powerful. And some of the other things as well, I'm mindful of what I eat. Yeah. I try and eat well 80% of the time, treat myself 20%. Mm-hmm. And also, I will go to the gym because that's somewhere where I can switch my brain off mm. from business, from all that and just push myself a little bit, Mm. but in a space that's designed for me to not be distracted by everything else. Mm. I love that. So at the moment, obviously we're living in a world where people are struggling. They're struggling, they have lack of money, lack of resources, lack of opportunities, lack of support. So what would be your, if you had one key message, pearls of wisdom, to offer somebody who's sitting there thinking, you know, I'm struggling to make ends meet. I'm missing maybe a couple of meals so then we can, you know, feed our children and we can't afford to put petrol in our car this week or or things like that. And here is Pamela and Lee going on about like, you know, just switch your mindset. And because I've been there, do you know what I mean? I have been there when I, I, to give you a bit of context, um, I had agoraphobia. So when I left my job as an investment banker, I had a really bad mental health illness and I didn't leave my house for almost three months at one point. And I remember trying to like switch my mindset and be more positive. And people kept saying like, you know, just be positive, you know, be happy. And just like, if it was that easy, I really would have done it. And I think sometimes when people are in a really dark place or really lonely place that hearing these kind of words of wisdom, yeah, it motivates them a little bit, but then there's still a part of them that goes like, but I can't do that. I don't have that. So what would be like your one bit of advice to someone who is like, I'm really at rock bottom right now, maybe just mentally rock bottom. What would your bit of advice um, or confident words be to them? Yeah. So I think there's probably a few things. Mm -hmm. The first one is 
don't be scared to seek support. Mm. When we're in difficult times, we need those people around us. And that might be a support network. Mm. If you don't have a support network, there are you know phone lines and organizations mm. that are there. Someone, a kind voice can make a massive difference when mm. you're struggling. And you know, you need to actually de- detach yourself from the toxic positivity and people telling you, just be grateful, because mm-hmm. that can make you feel even worse. Yeah. I think the other thing as well is back to the thinking about what you can control. Just by starting to write that down, mm. makes you feel a little bit more empowered. Yeah. And it allows you to see how far you've come. Because so often, when we don't reflect on the journey that we've been on, mm. we look at the gap to how we want things to be, rather than the gain that we've achieved in our life so far. Mm. And that, you know, so often when we do that, it provides a potential vision of what we might be able to do, even though we are very much in a trench. And sometimes mm. that can help us see the ascent that we're going to make mm. and how we take the first few steps on that. Mm-hmm. And so often that is through support of other people or through organisations who can help you. But the most important thing is to realise there are 9 billion people on this planet mm. and how you're feeling at the minute, you're not on your own. There's mm. millions of other people going through exactly what you're going through Mm. and having the same emotion that you've got right now Mm -hmm. you're not on your own Mm -hmm. so don't be scared to reach out for that support and if you do just think about your mind a little bit just write down those thoughts Mm. it just helps you get them out of your head a little bit because it can be so easy to get trapped in a spiral when you're struggling so much and if you write things down it makes it a bit more objective Mm. and if you are quite negatively talking to yourself sometimes that just helps you to realize actually you might be telling yourself you're a failure, mm. you should be doing better, but actually you're doing what you can. Mm. And that sometimes can be quite powerful validation yeah. that you can you can move forward. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes that might be a longer process than the immediate, you know, satisfaction of someone just telling you, you just need to change your mindset <laughs> and that's it, be positive, mm. given that you've got so many things going against you. Yeah, I love that. So with me, I'm really passionate about human connection. And um, obviously we're living in a digital world, which technology has made it accessible for us to connect like we have on LinkedIn which is great but also there's a bit of disconnection when technology is so much at the forefront and with this podcast I'm really open and encouraging to speak to as many people as I can because I honestly truly believe that everyone is going to face something in their lifetime and it doesn't have to be something as you know severe like you've gone through and what I've gone through Mm -hmm. it could be like a a breakdown of a relationship or friendship and these are monumental moments in our life that stay with us and shape us to who we are so with this podcast my closing closing question to you is that I'm very much interested in meeting people from all walks of life so do you have anyone and if you have don't name them that you think would be a great person for me to connect with and to have on this podcast and if so tell me your reasons why but don't say their name okay so she is very much a role model for women in stem Mm -hmm. in a similar way that you are Mm -hmm. she's incredibly inspiring every time i meet her she makes me feel like she is gonna on is really ascending to great things Mm. but she's so humble she's so honest very transparent (laughs) and ultimately i feel that should be and have an absolute great conversation with you i think there's commonalities on Mm -hmm. your journey but i also think that together you would create an absolutely awesome team 
Brilliant. I love that. Let's see if we can make that happen. And also, just on a personal note, I think as a mother raising um, three boys and a neurodivergent son, I am constantly seeing things about what autistic people can't do and what they struggle with. So to have this conversation with you today is really just motivated me and filled my heart because yes everyone has struggles and I feel that in this day and age it's not about getting neurodivergent people to be more like everyone else it's about making the world more accessible and supportive and empathetic because everyone has got strengths and I think that we owe it to everybody to support them so then they can thrive in this world and you are absolutely thriving and I'm just such an awe of what you're doing so big thank you from me and then there's so many people who look up to you as a role model as well and keep doing the most amazing work that you do but also make sure you do take time for yourself as well and I just want to say thank you so much for having this conversation with me it's been absolutely great and I think that you know to end what we are trying to do both of us is to show that actually neurodivergent individuals Mm -hmm. can be the people who support others, not always the ones who need support. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you.